my children. I was planning on making an episode about this eventually, like a deep dive episode. This is not that. This one is pretty impromptu. But Netflix came out with a new docu-series about this topic, so I have a lot of thoughts about it at this current moment that I'd just kind of like to get out. Uh, because I watched the docu-series. It's alright, I'll talk about my thoughts on it in a second, but I also just wanted to do an impromptu episode just to have an opportunity to give you an update, because it's been a minute since the last episode. It's been, oh, 20 days is how long it's been now that I'm looking at it. Uh, I have had a shit couple of weeks. Um, I won't bore you with the details, but it's just been really annoying. And it's taken up a lot of my time and energy, which was already pretty minimal. Not only have I not finished the two episodes that I'm currently working on, I haven't even cleaned my bathroom in like two weeks, and it's really gross. I mean, it's not that gross, but there's a bunch of like pink hair dye everywhere, and it's just a mess. My life is a mess, I'm a mess, everything's a mess, but that's okay. I am at least kind of close to finishing the next episode it's actually gonna be a video i'm gonna upload just the audio to the rss feed which will be the podcast so whatever you're streaming it on you can still just listen to it if you want or if you want to watch the video you can go to my youtube channel which i've been slowly putting all the old episodes onto the youtube channel and some of them are better audio quality because I didn't have to compress the files as much as I usually do when I have to upload them onto the streaming platforms because, you know, one of the episodes was five hours, so I had to compress that episode quite a bit in the audio quality, you know. But on YouTube, it is better. So if you go to the Medusini YouTube page and you subscribe, I will upload the video there. The video isn't necessary for you to be able to follow along all the stuff that I'm saying. There's going to be like visual examples to kind of back it up, but you don't need to see that to follow the overall narrative. But you could see my face if you want to. Maybe you've never seen my face before. You could tell me if you think that my voice matches what my face is, if you thought that's what I was going to look like. That's always interesting, right? When you've only heard someone's voice. But anyway, let's get into this episode's topic, which is the bling ring. So I'll start from the beginning if you have no fucking clue what that is. The bling ring is a name given to this small group of young people in the late 2000s. I think that the trial started around like 2010-ish, so early 2010s. Most of the people in the group were teenagers, but I think there was one or two people who were in their early 20s. And they were caught and charged with the crimes of burglarizing the houses of celebrities around the Calabasas area. They broke into houses of people like Paris Hilton, Lindsay Lohan, Rachel Bilson, Audrey Patridge, Orlando Bloom, Brian Austin Green and Megan Fox. A lot of those people, they broke into their houses several times. I think Paris Hilton was like five times and Rachel Bilson was six. They had some plans to break into some other people's houses like Miley Cyrus and Hilary Duff, I think was one of them. Poor sweet Hilary. 
Now, there was like a whole group of like maybe five or six people. There's only three that I think really matter all that much to the whole narrative. So that's Nick Prugo, Rachel Lee, and Alexis Nyers. Rachel and Nick were the original two that started the bling ring. It was just the two of them for a while. Rachel was, for the most part, the ringleader, and Nick was the brains to the operation, it seems. It seems like he did a lot of the research to figure out how to break into these celebrities' houses. So how it started was they were two kids who lived in a pretty wealthy area. They were living in or around Calabasas at the time, which, if you know Calabasas, you might know that that's where the Kardashians live, so that's the vibe of that area in California. And so one day, Rachel and Nick were out, they were walking around Calabasas, I guess, and Rachel goes up to some rich asshole's house and opens the door, and it's just open. They don't lock their doors, I guess. That's something about rich people, is because they live in gated communities and assume that they're gonna be safe because everyone else in the gated community is another rich asshole like them, so why would they be subject to a robbery? So they don't lock their doors. They apparently also don't lock their cars either because after that first break-in to someone's house, Nick and Rachel would go around car checking, which is where they would just walk down the street and try to open a bunch of nice sports cars and stuff, and very often they weren't locked, so they would just open the door, take someone's wallet or their nice sunglasses, whatever was in there, and go about their day. After car checking for a while, Rachel decides that she wants to start breaking into celebrities' houses because she was really into fashion and she watched a lot of these celebrities on TV and admired their style, and so they decided to mostly strike women's houses where they would steal the clothing and shoes and accessories of those female celebrities. Kind of sucked for Nick because he was a boy, but occasionally he'd be able to steal some of their boyfriend stuff or they would just come across money or drugs even. They found some cocaine in Paris' house. Allegedly, she claims they didn't, that they're just liars, but I mean, come on. It there's probably, there's probably cocaine in really all those houses, to be honest, but almost certainly in Paris's. Remember when she got caught with cocaine in her purse and she told the police that it wasn't her purse and she thought it was gum? It's one of my favorite celebrity scandals of all time. Anyway, they actually started with Paris's house because they thought that she was just stupid and so would not have really good security and it'd be easier for them to break in. And, you know, I don't think Paris is that stupid. I think she's smarter than people give her credit for. But, to their point, it apparently was pretty easy to break into her house and she also didn't notice that anyone had stolen anything from her until, like, the fifth time that it happened. And that was only because, by that point, they had brought in more people and the other people they brought in were a little bit sloppier than Nick and Rachel. I think they left, like, shoe prints somewhere because they were just messy. For a while in the beginning, it was just the two of them, and then eventually Rachel started bringing in more people, and then after a while, Nick brought his own new buddy, that being Alexis Nyers. So, 
Alexis actually participated in the bling ring pretty minimally. She was only present at one robbery, which was at Orlando Bloom's house, and then she did have some other items that Nick had just given to her that he had stolen from other homes. So she was also in possession of stolen items. She claims that she didn't realize they were stolen at the time and that Nick had told her that he was a stylist and she thought those were just clothes that he had as a stylist, stuff that was left over from fashion seasons and whatnot. He says that that is not the case, that he told Alexis's mom that he was a stylist, but Alexis was very in the know and she did know that all of the clothes he was bringing were from robberies. To be honest, I don't know which of them to believe because they're both pretty honest about other stuff that happened, so I don't see why they would lie, but I don't know. So, if you believe Alexis, she only figured out that they were robbing houses pretty much when she arrived at Orlando Bloom's house, where she was drunk and just sort of ended up there and didn't know what was going on until it was happening. Or if you believe Nick, she very much knew that he was doing this prior to her joining and she joined of her own free will knowing full well what was going on. No matter, even though Alexis only participated in one robbery, she has kind of become the face of the bling ring and that starts more or less with a Vanity Fair article, but we're actually going to back up a little bit more and talk about Pretty Wild. Now, this is the reason that I've wanted to do a deep dive episode on this topic, because I watched Pretty Wild when it was on, when it first aired, because as I've mentioned on this podcast before, from age about like 12 until I went to college and no longer had cable, the only channel I really watched in my bedroom was the E! channel. I just kept it on pretty much all day, and I was in my bedroom a lot. I was an only child, so I didn't really have much else to do. So I watched, like, everything. All the Kardashian shows, I watched Girls Next Door, and then the spin-offs of that, Holly's World and Kendra. I watched Married to Rock. I watched Ice Loves Coco. I watched Bridal Plasty, which was a reality competition show where a group of brides, brides-to-be, they were engaged, competed, and then at the end of the season, whoever won the general competition was rewarded with the cosmetic procedures of their dreams. So, you know, if you wanted, like, a nose job and a tummy tuck and whatever else, you get all the stuff that's on your little list of the procedures you'd like to get done, and then you get all those procedures done before your wedding day. It was basically an advertisement for plastic surgery, and I watched that at like 14 or so. Let me see when it came out. Yeah, it came out in 2010, so I would have been 14. I didn't see a problem with it. Like, I just took in all that media and was like, this is fine, this is normal and definitely think some of it fucked me up, especially in terms of the plastic surgery. Gained a very casual idea of modifying your body, which, you know, you can modify your body as you like, but I don't think I should have been quite so exposed to it at 14 like that. But, oh well. The point is, 
I was a dumb little kid who just watched things and didn't really criticize or question it. Except for when it came to Pretty Wild. That was the one show that I watched where even I was like, there's something off about this one. This is a weird show. I don't think I had the words to really put my finger on what was wrong with it at the time. Now I would say it was exploitative. But I definitely knew that something wasn't right. It was definitely pretty wild. That's an apt description. I would say more than just pretty. It was just wild. Uh, maybe an even better title for the show would have been like, not okay? Or shouldn't have been made? And yet, I really can't say that I would take it back, because holy fuck, the show was entertaining. And that's why I want to talk about it so much, because I feel like it sort of slipped away in the public consciousness. People don't talk about Pretty Wild really at all, despite people still apparently talking about the bling ring. It has like one moment that's become a meme, but other than that, I couldn't even find it on streaming anywhere. I eventually did, but like you have to pay for it. So I went to NBC.com and I signed up like onto their website and you get like three free tokens to watch something on their site. So I watched two episodes of Pretty Wild. I'm, I haven't used my third token yet though. It was just a lot of pressure. I didn't know what I wanted to use it on. Probably another episode of Pretty Wild, but like which one? But so anyway, I rewatched the first episode, and then I watched the one that the meme is from, obviously, because that's quite a moment. But before I talk about what the show is, I will talk about what it was supposed to be. So Alexis Nyers and her family, which consists of her mother, Andrea, along with her sisters, Gabby and Tess, though Tess is not actually her sister, she is just a girl she was friends with for a really long time, and then Tess had a falling out with her mother. So then she moved in with Andrea and Alexis and Gabby, and they refer to her as one of Andrea's daughters, but she's not. She was never really adopted by Andrea, and I don't think that they're in touch anymore. I know that Alexis and Tess have had a falling out. But the original concept for the show was basically keeping up with the Kardashians, but a hippie version, pretty much, because Andrea is sort of like a Kris Jenner, but definitely not at all like Kris Jenner. So a stage mom, kinda-ish. She herself was in Playboy when she was younger, and she had dreams of being an actress and just existing within Hollywood and the celebrity world, but she didn't become big, you know? Leading her to encourage her daughters to pursue careers in the entertainment world as well. So in this latest Netflix docuseries, Andrea says that it was totally her daughter's thing, that they really wanted to be models and actresses and whatever it is that they said they wanted to be at the time. Then Alexis said that no, it was kind of more her mom's thing, and they sort of went along with it. I'm inclined to believe Alexis more on that one, because that's generally how it goes with mothers who exist within that industry, especially when they once pursued similar dreams as well. So I have to assume 
Andrea was projecting something onto her daughters, whether she realizes it or not. But with love, Andrea is a mess. Just total, total mess. She is like a Kris Jenner in the way that she's hungry for fame and to be a part of that world, but very much not like Kris Jenner in that Kris is professional and knows what she's doing, and Andrea is just kind of making stuff up as she goes along, I think. She's manifesting as she goes along, I guess would be the way to say it, because Andrea is super into The Secret, which is a book slash documentary. The documentary came first, but the book became a lot more popular. It was really big with Oprah and Ellen DeGeneres and all these people who, you know, are already like rich and famous, so they don't really need it. But I think they think that it's what got them famous, kind of like a manifest destiny sort of thing. Anyway, what the secret is, you've almost certainly seen it, even if you don't know you've seen it. Just Google the cover and you'll know what I'm talking about. It's a self-help book that is all based around manifesting or the law of attraction. I don't want to say that it's total bunk. A lot of it is. I mean, a lot of the stuff that's written in the book itself or is in the documentary is just straight-up pseudoscience that's been disproven and the experts featured in the documentary are not, um, not well regarded, I'll say. But I don't want to act like there's no positive benefit to manifesting or thinking positive things. I mean, it depends on the context and it depends on how you're using it, but the way The Secret uses it is basically saying you need to repeat certain things in your head and you need to imagine certain things happening to you, and then they will. So, like, if you think a lot about getting a certain job, you really want to land this job, you think about it all the time, you think positively about it, then the law of attraction will bring that job to you. Now, how the universe decides that if maybe someone else who is interviewing for that job also follows the same thing, like, doesn't, doesn't really make sense how you could both achieve the same goal that would be in contradiction with one another, but whatever. Another thing I think is kind of funny about The Secret is that one of the things about it is if you think negative things, the universe will not pick up on the nuances of it. So if you say, for instance, I hope I don't mess up in my job interview today. The universe will just hear mess up in job interview and then that will happen. So you have to think positive things exclusively. You can't think negative things even if it's like a double negative, you know what I mean? So you have to think, I hope I do well. You can't think, I hope I don't do poorly. If you've read The Secret and you feel like it's helped you, there is a lot of science that says thinking positively and trying to manifest good things happening to you does help your overall, like, mood, and it helps you 
focus on the good things and not the bad things. So again, I'm not going to say that manifesting has no benefits, but the, the general, like, really literal interpretation of what the secret is saying is just pretty bunk. Sorry. But Andrea was super into it. She loved the documentary. That's what she says in Pretty Wild, that she was inspired by the movie The Secret. I'm assuming she's read the book too, but I don't know. And she was homeschooling her children in The Secret, which... <laughs> so when they film the reality show, by this point... I know Alexis already had a GED, and I think that Tess was still in some sort of, like, online school or something. I don't know what Gabby was in. I hope that Gabby wasn't literally just being homeschooled by Andrea, but I'm... Uh, it's very possible that she was. But, so, Andrea was theoretically homeschooling them, but she wasn't homeschooling them in any sort of traditional education. She was literally just teaching them classes on the secret. So she would have them fill out like little mood boards so that they could manifest their dreams. It was just, it's a whole thing. It's like I said, it was supposed to be the Kardashians, but a hippie version, a family who lived in a wealthy area of California, even though they actually didn't live there. So they had a townhouse, but they lived somewhere with, like, a homeowner's association, so they couldn't film there. But E, once they got this reality show going, they rented out a new house for them to film in. And it's not their house. It looks way nicer and much more expensive than what they actually lived in. I'm not sure 100% if they were even living in that townhouse at that point. I know Alexis has said they were living in a Best Western hotel or motel, whatever it is. But I don't know if that was all of them or just her and Tess or something like that. Because it she did get kicked out of her house at some point. And I don't know if she was actually living with her mother and Gabby when the show was filming or if they were living in the townhouse and she was living in the Best Western. The point is, they were supposed to be a wealthy family who had connections to the industry, and they did have some connections. Alexis and Tess were in a Kid Rock video. She was also in a Marilyn Manson video. Uh, <laughs> as an underage girl, naked. I mean, in the video, she has a sheet over her, so you can't see her naked. But she was naked on set as a minor. And knowing what we now know about Marilyn Manson, she very narrowly avoided some pretty horrible shit. But also just being naked on a set of a music video at 17 is still not okay. I've also seen the music video she's talking about, by the way, and there's no reason that the dancers needed to be naked. It's just their silhouettes that you see through the sheets. They could have easily just worn, like, small outfits, and it wouldn't have really made a difference, so I don't know why they were making the dancers naked on set in the first place, but whatever. Her and Tess were really big into the partying scene, and they tried to spend time around celebrities, pretty much. And that's 
kind of how they relate to the Kardashians in a way that the Kardashians themselves weren't super famous when they started their show, but they were surrounded by other famous people and they lived in Calabasas around the area that other rich famous people were in. So they got their reality show just from having those connections. So when Dan Levy met Alexis Nyers and Tess Taylor at some event or party or something, he was told by them that they were twin sisters, which they definitely were not. They weren't even biologically related. But they told him that they were being homeschooled by their mother, who was teaching them all about the secret. And Tess said that she wanted to be a Playboy model as well, as Andrea had been. And Dan just found that concept to be pretty funny, you know? These party girls in a family with a hippie mother who's homeschooling them, and one of the daughters is trying to manifest becoming a Playboy bunny, or playmate, sorry. I know there's, like, a specific hierarchy, and there's, like, different roles within the Playboy lore. But actually, I think she, like, specifically wanted to be a girlfriend of Hugh Hefner's, like, on The Girls Next Door. So that's what the show was supposed to be. It was supposed to be all about their homeschooling and their weird, quirky family. That original concept kind of went out the window, though, on the first day of shooting. So producers showed up, they filmed some bits with Alexis and Tess in a club, then they were meeting them back at the house to shoot, and when they got there, uh, Alexis was being arrested. So it became this weird reality show documentary hybrid. I mean, not so much a documentary, but it was at least following a real case. It was following Alexis's journey to jail because, spoiler, she, she does go to jail. But originally she's arrested, she's questioned. They spend the entirety of the first season, which is nine episodes, just getting closer and closer to her trial date, where she was sentenced to spend, I, I don't even remember, some couple months or something, but I think she only did like one or two months and then got released. But during her brief time in jail, she actually was in a cell right next to Lindsay Lohan which is just kind of funny because Lindsay was one of the people that got robbed by the bling ring. Not by her, she wasn't there for that robbery, but, you know, a little bit of fate in a way to bring them together. They never interacted, though. I think Alexis said she could hear Lindsay crying at one point. It seems like it did definitely suck. I mean, celebrities get released from prison pretty early. I mean, they weren't in prison, they were in jail, which is different, but... No matter, they usually get released early, which is not totally fair, but also they pretty much get put into, like, solitary confinement because they're in protective custody since they're public figures. They don't want to mix them in with the general population. So even though Alexis only spent, like, a month or so in jail, it was pretty much a month of solitary confinement, which is really, really rough. But so anyway, let's go back a little bit. Before Alexis actually got sentenced, they did the entire first season of Pretty Wild, did not get picked up for a second season, because, I, well, you know, she went to jail and 
There also were some other problems that I'll talk about in a second. One of the most popular, probably just the most popular and the most infamous episode, is one in which Alexis gets interviewed for Vanity Fair. She's interviewed by a woman named Nancy Jo Sales, who then went on to write an article for Vanity Fair about the bling ring. The title of the article was, The Suspects Wore Louboutins. Nancy went on to write a book about the bling ring as well, but the Vanity Fair article already went on to make a massive impact in the culture because, number one, it gives us an incredible moment on Pretty Wild when Alexis reads the piece for the first time, having thought that her and Nancy really hit it off while they were talking to each other and thinking that the story was going to exonerate her and tell her side, but it, it, it did not. <laughs> okay, so I'm just gonna play the clips because they're so good. Gonna be okay, I'm calling Jess. She said I was wearing six inch Louboutins to court with my tweet outfit. Jeff, did you read the Vanity Fair article? I wasn't wearing Louboutins, I was wearing little brown kitten heels. Bitch. She could have swayed this freaking case. Does she have any compassion for this situation? Okay, Jeff, this is horrendous. I can't even read this anymore. It's gonna be okay. <laughs> it's not gonna be okay. Yes. <laughs> the whole world is reading this. People are so Stop, just everyone stop talking. Stop touching me, stop talking. I didn't touch stop, you. Stop, just stop. <laughs> so I know right here and right now that there is one line, one power. Gabby, quiet! And one present. Stop! Stop what? I didn't stop talking! She's praying. I am praying, please be quiet. I know that I'm always protected. <laughs> And that karmically, my journey just gets better and better every day. I know this is the truth. And I thank you, Lord, so much for this truth. And so it is. So it is. You rock, girl. Bull story. Stop. The whole Vanity Fair magazine interview totally backfired. Nancy Joe, this is Alexis Nyers calling. I'm going to let you know how disappointed. Nancy Joe, this is Alexis Nyers. I'm calling to let you know how disappointed I am in your story. How horrible you me. You and this lied. You stop. You, you lied. Stop it. it. Show it. Stop it, you Mom. Lied. Stop. Damn it. Nancy Joe. This is Alexis Nyers calling. I'm going to let you know how disappointed I am in your story. There's many things that I read in here that were false. Like you saying that I wore six inch Louboutin heels to court with my tweed skirt when I wore four inch little brown BB shoes. $29! Every time you f I have to re-record it! Nancy Joe, this is Alexis Nyers calling. I'm calling to let you know how disappointed I am in your story and the light that you shed on me when I am going through such a hard time in my life. I opened up to you so that way the world could potentially know what a great, amazing, talented, strong, healthy girl that I am. Not even a girl, young woman. 
I am petrified, petrified with this story. <sighs> I'm so disappointed, and I'm letting you know that I will clear this up. Have a nice life. Goodbye. That was beautiful. You did such a good job of expressing yourself. We'll come back to that moment later, but one thing I do just want to point out for right now, because it's funny for me to think about, is that Nancy got all of those messages. When she was re-recording, she wasn't, like, re-recording so that it would undo what she had already recorded and she just left the final message. She was making new messages every time. So just imagine Nancy Joe opening her phone and seeing, like, seven voicemails and six of them are, like, incomplete and have people yelling and the mom yelling in the background. Like, it's just, oh my god, I would pay so much money to hear those voicemails. And especially, too, because she got them the day that they filmed that. She didn't even know what was going on. She just opened her phone and those messages were there. She had no context for it whatsoever. It just really makes me laugh. <laughs> But let's just move forward. So that Vanity Fair article went on to inspire a movie, a movie directed by Sofia Coppola, who directed other movies like Marie Antoinette starring Kirsten Dunst and The Virgin Suicides, also starring Kirsten Dunst, and The Beguiled, um, also starring Kirsten Dunst. And Kirsten does have a little cameo in the bling ring. Now, all the other movies that I mentioned I like. I haven't seen The Virgin Suicides in a while, so I can't really speak on my current feelings on it, but I did like it when I saw it. And Marie Antoinette I really like, and The Beguiled I really like. Um, The Bling Ring I hate. I really, really hate it. But I wanted to, I wanted to lay that groundwork first just to say that I do, I do appreciate Miss Sophia as a director. And if you told me that she directed a movie about the bling ring, that sounds incredible. That sounds like a great idea. Uh, the execution is not great. So I actually have a list on my phone, on my notes app. I This might make me sound really egotistical, but that's fine. I have a list that's just titled movies that would have been better if I made them. And really, what it is, is not me saying that I would make a great director. It's just a list of movies, I guess, where I think that the concept is there. Like, there's a very real potential for what the movie could be. But it gets botched in the execution specifically because I don't think the people who did make it really understood or properly valued the source material. And the source material, in this case being the Vanity Fair article, I guess I would say I don't really value that either, and that's sort of the problem. But the source material being the overall bling ring, I do. I do know about it, and I value it as a cultural touchstone, and I just think that the Vanity Fair article and the movie directed by Sofia Coppola they're really mean. They're just, like, not nice. I'm not trying to excuse what the people in the bling ring did. It was bad. It's bad to steal things, especially things from other human beings. Like, if you're gonna steal from anyone, 
Steal from like a big corporation or something, you know? Don't steal from another individual, that's mean. And especially to break into someone's house, like, that has to feel really violating, even if you're not taking anything that's specifically of sentimental value, which they did. They did take stuff that was really personal to people, including Rachel Bilson's, like, mother's wedding ring. Or that might have been Audrey Patridge. One of the two. She took... Someone had their mother's wedding or engagement ring stolen, and that fucking sucks. Like, you can't get that back. I think that it might have been pawned. Because a lot of stuff was returned, but I don't believe that ring was. And that's awful. And even besides that, you you just don't want people in your house. Like, it makes you feel unsafe and it feels really gross and icky to know that people have been going through your stuff and just taking it. And the reason that they did celebrities specifically was partially because Rachel Lee wanted the clothes of those celebrities because she thought that the clothes were cool. It's also because they're celebrities and people want things from celebrities. One of the police officers is quoted in the Vanity Fair article in a way that I think is really exaggerative for the harm that the kids did, but has somewhat of a point. He compared what they did to stalking and said that What's the difference between wearing someone's clothes and wearing their skin as clothes? Like, it was something really ridiculous like that. And, like, of course, there's a huge difference between wearing someone's skin as clothing. That's ill. But, like, their clothes, that's just... I, it's not the same. I do get where he's coming from, though. I mean... Rachel was really, really obsessed with these celebrities and wanted to wear their specific clothing because they belong to them. She even, by the way, stole nude photographs of Paris Hilton. And that's just really, really gross. I mean, for one thing, it kind of proves that it wasn't just about taking the clothes and wearing the clothes. That's a really personal thing that she stole. They did say that they had plans to sell it, but that they couldn't because it wouldn't have sold for much money because Paris had already been naked on the sex tape. But it, it probably still would have sold. I think they took it because they wanted something really private and personal and intimate of those celebrities. And that is, that's really nasty. But the way that the Bling Ring, the movie, and the Vanity Fair article written by Nancy Joe treats those kids who participated in the robberies with absolutely no compassion is also really gross to me. So I'm going to back up a little bit. Let's go back to the beginning. So Nick met Rachel after his family had moved. He was in a new high school. He was already having issues with his parents. So was Rachel. Rachel, her dad, had completely abandoned the family. She wasn't on good terms with her mother. Her and Nick became really good friends. Nick was also gay. And this was the early 2000s when that was really, really not, like, a thing that people were. I mean, obviously people were gay, but it was still seen as more of a taboo kind of thing. And a lot of people weren't out. Not that it's super easy for gay kids in school today, 
but in the 2000s, it was definitely worse. He and Rachel had a bond that was very complicated and kind of like all relationships and friendships that people have at that age was really close and intimate, but also kind of ridden with jealousy and just petty things that teenagers can get into conflict with each other about. But Nick really, really loved Rachel. I can't really speak so much to Rachel's feelings from that time because she just hasn't talked about it publicly the way that Nick has. She's kind of withdrawn from the spotlight completely. In an interview that Alexis did on Julia Fox's podcast, she said that she actually ran into Rachel once in a salon and she was working as a hairstylist and Rachel seemed to be doing well, but seems like she doesn't want to talk about any of that time and she's just built a new life for herself. So unless she changes her mind, we're just not ever going to know what she thinks about this time in her life. But Nick felt really attached to Rachel and was actually kind of hurt when she started bringing in more people into the bling ring when it wasn't just him and her anymore. And I think that has a huge part of it because when you're young like that, being peer pressured into doing something that's kind of stupid is a lot easier. And it's also just not that abnormal for kids at that age to be searching for an adrenaline rush of that kind. I've never robbed anyone's house or done anything like that, but when I was a teenager, me and my friends used to sneak out of the house at night when we were having sleepovers and we would go and like ding dong ditch and TP people's houses. I think we might have egged someone's house at some point. Stuff that I wouldn't do now but at that age, I, number one, didn't really have the empathy to understand what I was doing to people's lives. Like, even with ding-dong ditching, that's just so rude. I can't imagine doing that now, because what if someone had to get up for work really early? Or what if they had a sleeping baby? I, I would never do that, because I understand what being a human being is like more than I did at the time. But as... A kid that age, it's just exciting to, like, sneak out and do something kind of bad. And you also don't really understand the consequences for your actions. Because also, you're a teenager, too, so there aren't really as many consequences. Like, I'm not gonna go to jail for ding-dong ditching. Most likely, at least. So you're kind of protected by that. You don't think of it as something that if you get caught, something really bad could happen to you. So I'm not saying that I would have done what those kids did, but I understand when you're really young, just doing stupid shit just for the kicks. Especially when these people were already estranged from their family and didn't really have someone to hold them accountable for certain things. In a way, the robberies kind of seemed like a cry for help, you know? And like I said, it still was not okay for them to rob people, but the fact that they were robbing really, really rich people, it's not like they were ruining anyone's life. Let's be honest. It doesn't make it okay, but it maybe made it seem less 
not okay to them in their minds, you know, when they're thinking about yeah, I'm stealing from someone, but I'm stealing from someone who has millions of dollars and probably won't even notice some of this stuff is gone. And again, some people, they robbed multiple times, so they didn't notice that things were gone. Paris didn't notice until the fifth time. So clearly, they didn't take something that was vital to her day-to-day -day life. It also seems like many of them were addicted to drugs. They were pawning things to get money to buy drugs. They were taking money from people's houses directly just to buy drugs. They were taking those celebrities' drugs. And not only does their dependence on substances indicate that they weren't really in their right minds at the time, also remember, they are teenagers. Some of them are like 18, 19, 20 by the time that it ends, but they started as teenagers. And teenagers who are addicted to drugs, there's probably something else going on. And this is what I think is really gross about the Vanity Fair article specifically. There's one point where Nancy Joe refers to all the kids involved coming from dysfunctional families, but she literally puts dysfunctional in quotes. Like, it's sarcastic. Like, that was something that one of the kids said to her, but she didn't really take it seriously. And they did. They all did come from dysfunctional families. Alexis, like Rachel, had been abandoned by her father at a young age. She was also sexually abused by a different family member when she was really young. She was very much addicted to drugs at this point. In fact, when the Orlando Bloom robbery occurred, she was living at Nick's house because her mom had kicked her out after catching her smoking Oxycontin. That's, that's pretty heavy for a teenager. And she went on, while Pretty Wild was filming, to become addicted to heroin. These were troubled kids who did a bad thing, but the movie and the Vanity Fair article just paints them out to be blatant brats who are spoiled and egotistical and materialistic and it's just it's so unfair to what the reality was i know that that clip where alexis is picking apart the fact that nancy wrote that she was wearing six inch louboutins is a funny clip you know like, it sounds so ridiculous to be making that distinction that they were kitten heels and not Louboutins. But it does matter because Nancy was specifically trying to portray her as, like, a dumb bimbo. And it's not even that she just said she was wearing Louboutins in the piece. The whole piece is called The Suspects Wore Louboutins. That's the framing of the entire thing. It's super reductive to them as human beings. And it's not fair, because they were fucking kids. Even if you want to portray them as attention-seeking, that's not, like, a moral failing. And this is why I want to talk about this, because... It's not just that Pretty Wild was meant to be a different version of Keeping Up with the Kardashians. They are kind of a mirrored look at what the Kardashians are. For one thing, they're made fun of for a lot of the same things, being materialistic, fame-hungry, whatever. And 
as I've been talking about in the Kardashian retrospective series that we've been doing, and that, by the way, the third part is coming soon, that's one of the ones I'm working on, I've talked about how people really shit on the Kardashians for being fame-hungry, and I think that that's a really fucked up thing to just make fun of someone for, because someone who's really hungry for that much attention, and it's okay to want to be famous or to want to be notable, whatever, you know, there are perks that come with being a celebrity, and there are nice things about being recognized for your talent or your charm, your charisma, but to the degree that the Kardashians have held on to their fame very intentionally, I don't think that that is normal for a healthy person. So it's not that the Kardashians are evil because they're so fame-seeking. I think that they're just like really damaged people. If you need validation that badly from the media and from strangers and the general public, that indicates you having pretty low self-esteem and a low amount of self-worth, or just a fragmented identity. Do you know what I mean? You're not getting your sense of self from just who you are as a person, you're getting your sense of self and you're having your identity authenticated from the attention you get from other people. And that's sad. That's sad for you. That's sad for the Kardashians. That's sad for Alexis Nyers and all the kids involved in this who, yeah, did want to be famous. Because not only was Alexis on a reality show, once this all started to go down, Everyone else was giving statements and doing interviews and putting themselves out there. At some point, I think Nick, while being investigated for the crimes, wore, like, an entire outfit of stuff that he had stolen in public for paparazzi to take pictures of him because he wanted that attention. And that's really indicative of, like, a problem, like a psychological problem that I think we should be a little more empathetic to than just wanting to completely condemn people for. Especially because the condemnation is so hypocritical. Like, Emma Watson, for one thing, who was the lead in The Bling Ring, she plays Alexis Nyers, she gave a quote. Let me find it. Let me find the specific quote, because it was actually, like, really kind of gross. Okay, she said... My character is everything that I felt strongly against. She's superficial, materialistic, vain, and amoral. She's all of these things, and I realized I hated her. How do you play someone you hate? But I found it really interesting, and it gave me a whole new insight into what my job or my role as an actress could be. Yeah, and it really does come across in her performance. It was actually really critically acclaimed at the time. Everyone was praising Emma's performance, but I just thought that it was really mean. It wasn't trying to be compassionate to Alexis at all, who was genuinely going through a lot of shit. She was fucking addicted to heroin at the time. It was just making fun of her. It, like, even if you think that she's superficial and vain and all this stuff, might you try to explore where that might come from? And 
be kind of understanding to what could lead a person to get to that point in their life. And by the way, Alexis Nyers doesn't seem like that bad of a person. She's turned her life around, she's sober now, she's actually running like a treatment center and is a sponsor for a lot of people with substance abuse issues. She seems pretty cool, to be honest. She's got her own podcast. I listened to a couple episodes. It's called Recovering from Reality. It's good. She seems like a nice person. And this whole thing that because she was, like, fame-hungry and was on a reality show and is superficial or whatnot, like, Emma, girl, you're an actress. You're an actress in, like, big movies. And you don't need to be. You could very easily retire, for one thing. Like, you did Harry Potter for your entire childhood, and you could probably just live your life on that money forever if you really wanted to. But even if you want to continue working as an actress, you don't need to do fucking Disney movies like Beauty and the Beast. It wasn't even that good. This is what I was saying on one of the last episodes where I talked about the Kardashians. Celebrities, most of the time, actively participate in accruing more fame. And yet, we only really shit on them for doing it when it's people like the Kardashians who are, quote, famous for being famous, but all people who are famous are famous for being famous. That's like the whole point of fame, is that you're famous for something other than just your work specifically. People talk about your personal life publicly. They talk about your persona. You are more than just your work. That's the entire concept of celebrity that we don't shit on when it's like Tom Cruise or Brad Pitt or someone who's famous in a more traditional sense. But that phrase, famous for being famous, that comes from the phrase well-known for his well-knownness, which was first used just to describe celebrities, period. Just all celebrities. So, like, get off your high horse a little bit. You could do little indie movies, you could do little stage productions. If it was really just about the art of acting, you pursue those films for a reason. And all the other people who were involved in the Bling Ring film yeah, they all want to get attention, including people who their involvement, I would say, is pretty fucking inappropriate and ballsy, including one of the detectives from the case, one of the police officers who was working on the case to prosecute the bling ring. They're in the movie. And guess who else is in the fucking movie? Nancy Joe wrote an article trashing these kids who want to be famous so bad, and here you are in a Sofia Coppola film. I tell me you don't also want some amount of glory, Nancy Joe. Tell me it's just about the work of being a journalist to you. And the other thing that I really want to emphasize in the Kardashian series going forward as we actually start talking about their reality show is that having a reality show that's just based around your life is really weird. Like, it's a, it's a very weird thing to do. 
And it's another thing that I think, again, implicates something being a bit different about their psychology. Because most people could not endure having their personal life just made into content like that. And especially with the Kardashians, the thing that I really, really believe about keeping up with the Kardashians and, by extension, all of the spinoffs and the new show, I don't think people appreciate how much the show is really, really dark. I see keeping up with the Kardashians as a psychological horror, a slow burn psychological horror, which is fascinating, but kind of frustrating and that other people don't pick up on that and just see the Kardashians as these soulless creatures, but they're like actually kind of destroying their own lives by doing what they do and it's sad. And you can see that with Pretty Wild, especially when you hear about the behind-the-scenes action and how it made these stars feel. So in the third part of the Bling Ring docuseries, Alexis talks about what it took to make the Pretty Wild show. And for one thing, the first episode shows her arrest, but obviously they didn't actually film the arrest itself. They just filmed a recreation of the arrest, and that was kind of triggering to Alexis. She didn't really like that they were recreating one of the most traumatizing moments of her life and one of the scariest things she's ever been through, and especially felt kind of betrayed that her mother was participating in it to the degree that she was. And that was repeated again when later in the series, E was getting wind of Alexis's drug problem, and it couldn't really be ignored on the show anymore because she was clearly fucked up. They didn't want to talk about the fact that she was actually just doing straight heroin, so they filmed a scene where her mom confronts her on her dependence on prescription pills, and again, it's a really, really hard scene for Alexis because her mom is yelling at her in front of cameras about the fact that she is a drug addict. And that's not a normal thing for you to just put on TV like that. And again, to have your mom participate in it so zealously. It's, it's really gross. It, it feels objectifying and weird. And that's how people would feel in that situation. And the fact that the Kardashians either feel that way and don't say anything about it, they just keep chugging along, or they genuinely have just desensitized themselves to the point that they can't even care anymore, that says something really, really severe about where they're at mentally and how they've learned to process their own fame. It's not normal to objectify yourself like that and to put yourself into situations where the people around you, you can't trust. For instance, the producers for Pretty Wild, <laughs> I don't blame them for one thing, because like they, they had to make good TV, and they did. They made very compelling TV, but they definitely did stuff that was pretty immoral. For one thing, there was an episode where the girls had lost their dog 
they didn't know where he was. Alexis is now convinced that they were specifically hiding her dog from her, the producers were, because they eventually found him in the producer's garage with, like, where they were keeping all their monitors and stuff and going over footage. The producers say that they did not take the dog. They didn't purposefully hide him there. But they did know he was there midway through them looking for the dog frantically and just didn't say anything because, number one, they were like, oh, well, they were irresponsible with their dog anyway. It's their problem. But then number two, it's just good TV. Why would the producers step in and tell them, oh, we found your dog? It's better for them to keep looking. And that's that's rough to have people in your life who are in charge of your public narrative, who are going to edit your footage, and they have an incentive to not tell you where your dog is, to not help you stop freaking out that you lost your dog. As like a dog lover, that's cruel. I wouldn't live with those people in my life. And another thing that the producers did that this gets talked about in the documentary, and <laughs> the lawyers seemed pretty regretful about it, rightfully so. The producers convinced him to tell Alexis that he was, like, really confident about her case, that he thought that they were going to get her off with no issue and she wasn't going to do any jail time. And he didn't think that. The producers just wanted her to think that, so they told him to tell her that. And again, wow, that's fucked. It suited the producers' interests at the time for the episode they wanted to film. But they gave their star false hope that she wasn't going to go to jail, and she did. And that scene with Nancy Joe, where she's calling her a bunch, that only happened because the producers told her to keep recording the message. They needed a clean shot of her recording that voicemail. And then, of course, they put all the stuff before that in. But the reason Alexis was having that mental breakdown, which seems so absurd when you're watching it, because it seems like such an overreaction, only came after the producers had been pretty much drumming her up and getting her to a really emotional place and then kept making her re-record the message that Nancy Joe then had to listen to. As funny as that scene is, you are watching someone having a genuine breakdown. And it's a pretty reasonable one. It was a very stressful situation, and it's not like we can say that that Vanity Fair article didn't matter in the entire scope of Alexis's life, because it's what then inspired the Bling Ring movie made about her that also just made it seem like she was the ringleader of the Bling Ring because Emma Watson's character in that film is the star of the film. She's what the whole movie is about, despite the fact that Alexis was only at one robbery the whole time. Can I also just say, by the way, um, I read the Vanity Fair article, and I don't think it's very well written. Sorry. I mean, it's it's fine, but there's a lot of points in it where it's just confusing because Nancy Joe will have multiple people speaking, like, right beside each other. Like, one person will say something, and then their attorney will say something, but it's, like, 
two different quotes within the same sentence. So it's just a little messy. There's a lot of points where I had to like reread it just to clarify who was saying what. And I think it could have been written in a clearer way. And again, I also just think it's so one note in what it even explores about the teenagers at the center of this story. Because it's really just uncharitable to them to the degree of cruelty. I suggest if you do want to learn more about the Bling Ring, the docuseries on Netflix is decent. I don't love all the choices it makes on like a stylistic level. It's a little overproduced. I didn't like the narration whole thing they had going. And I find the like text on screen thing to be cheesy and dumb, I guess. It's just not a thing that I like in movies and especially documentaries. But overall, it does go into depth on what the people at the center of this whole situation were actually feeling at the time, and I think that's a worthwhile thing to explore. You walk away from the docuseries understanding that the people who committed those crimes were human beings, much more so than you do from the Bling Ring film or the Vanity Fair article, and Pretty Wild is just sad because it's literally just girls who are drug addicts kind of losing their mind on screen but pretending not to. And by girls, I mean Alexis and Tess. They were both pretty knee-deep into something. Gabby, the younger one, was the most stable person in the family. And in a way, that's also concerning because she was like 15 and she should not have been parenting the rest of her relatives who are all older than her. But I'm really glad that all the people from the Bling Ring seem to be doing pretty well. Alexis seems great. Nick, I don't know so much about, but he at least seemed pretty upfront in the docuseries, which makes me think that he's able to hold himself accountable for what he did, and that's super positive for where he's at emotionally. And Rachel Lee, if what Alexis said is true, her being a stylist somewhere where people don't really associate her with the bling ring, that's great. I genuinely think that all of the people at the center of this were not horrible people. They were not amoral like Emma Watson seems to believe they were. They were troubled kids who came from rough backgrounds, even if they had some sort of proximity to wealth, because that's another thing that people really exaggerated how rich these kids were. They weren't that wealthy. Alexis, again, was living in like a best Western, and Rachel was pretty wealthy, but again, she was like estranged from her parents, so... I mean, none of them really grew up with that cush of a life. They were not in great circumstances, and they acted out in ways that were bad, because that's what people who are in harmful situations often do. They do things that they regret later. And unless they did something really, really terrible, they do deserve compassion, and they deserve an opportunity to rehabilitate and move on with their lives in a positive, productive way. So, glad they got to do that. And fuck you, Nancy Joe. That's, that's the episode. Bye.